From Hong Kong, this is Maya Kupa, the Lessons Learned from Startups podcast, based upon the postmodern conference where founders, investors, lawyers, and mentors share their stories about working on, with, or for startups. Today, we do something differently. Normally, I have one guest and we talk about their journey into entrepreneurship and what they learned from it. But today, we have two guests, actually two founders that are doing something in the mental health industry. 2015 study from Michael Freeman showed that 49% of entrepreneurs struggled with mental health issues. Entrepreneurs are more prone to mental health conditions. From a study also shows that twice are more likely to suffer from depression, six times more likely to have ADHD, 10 times more likely to suffer from bipolar, two times more suicidal thoughts, and three times more of substance abuse. Founders are often reported by the media as rocks and resilient. But in the meantime, they have to juggle family, friends, investors, peers, staff, and advisors. And then I'm not even talking about their actual business, their suppliers and their customers. So today we have two people here on this podcast, Justin Kong and Megan Lam. I will ask them to introduce themselves. So Meg, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, my name's Meg. I'm the CEO of Neurom. We do digital behavioral health as a service for companies, and we developed a platform, Clara, which is clinically validated and powered by machine learning. Um, so this means that we're able to deliver personalized and effective support to millions of individuals real time. And I'm proud to say that we're revenue generating and have a really awesome and unique team behind us. Thank you, Megan. And Justin. Hi, I'm Justin. Uh, I founded uh, Everyday Empathy, uh, and basically I'm building a uh, what I'd say is just a private practice that focuses on coaching and counseling services for founders, creators, entrepreneurs, basically anyone that has the aspirations to create something, um, build something. Um, yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Then normally I ask the question, how did you end up in entrepreneurship? And I'm still going to ask that to the two of you. So um, Megan, how did you end up in entrepreneurship? By accident. <laughs> Humor. Humor. But this is true, like I never intended to actually build a business. So my background is in neuroscience and mental health research. But and I feel like in another life, I would have gone to law school. But due to personal stories um, to do with mental health, that now means I have a background. Um, I now have the background that I do. Um, so with entrepreneurship, it really started out with me wondering if there was a way to better understand people and give them many interventions on their terms, um, right where they are. So it could be in the car, at home, at work, you know, really understanding mental health in the real world. So that's when I added digital health as a lens into my toolbox, um, ended up advising a corporate founded network, realized there were, you know, issues about scalability and sustainability to do with mental health and wellness. And from the problems and meeting my co-founder at a very fateful time, um, did I start building Neurom. Okay. And Justin? Um, I came into this as almost a, I feel like it's a finally uh, walking the walk rather, because I, for most of my career, especially last seven years, I've been uh, supporting other founders and working with other founders at a startup, um, at VCs, inside uh, managing accelerator programs, incubators. So I feel like I've I'm, I'm I've done everything except actually jump in and, and found a business. And I think to be honest, I didn't quite know what the business would be until I was like, well, why not focus it all around the skills that I what I that I want to develop, which is around coaching and counseling and supporting the mental wellness of these people. Um, that are very special, very competent, but often very lonely. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean that's the that's the that's the kind of aspirational way of looking at. It. But honestly, I've just been very interested. I mean, studying psychology undergrad, um, you know, always trying to help friends and stuff. It's always been part of just who I am and what I do. So it, it felt it felt natural to to start this. Okay, let me start right a bit. Like already in my introduction, a little bit. Are startup founders more susceptible for mental health issues? Uh, yes, uh, I mean, uh, the research is definitely in on this. Uh, now, uh, we, I'm not going to go too much into causality and causation and stuff, but the data is in that um, entrepreneurs are definitely higher risk 
whether that is a bit of self-selection uh, because they they put themselves into high pressure, uh, high intensity situations, uh, or or sorry, starting a business in itself is a high high pressure uh, cause to take on. So uh, there's that. Um, there are some, I guess, uh, congenital and and biological aspects of it as well. But I don't I don't think it's um, rather if we're looking for the factors co- uh, into this, I'm more focused on rather uh, the what we know now. So what do we do aspects of it? So short answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with Justin. And, you know, Jeffrey, at the beginning of this, for the intro of this podcast, you listed um, a couple of stats there. Um, that being said, I want to tag on to Justin's point as well about the directionality of that effect. Um, have we, as founders, self-selected ourselves to, you know, jump into the business building, business building world Um and, you know, Jeffrey mentioned that, you know, founders are, are more at risk and, uh, you know, as much as that, and we know that mental ill health and mental illness, there are multiple, it's a cocktail of different things that uh, go into the mix. And the environment being one, Justin, you mentioned a biological component being one as well, our social element being one. Um, but I, I also want to bring to light that oftentimes founders themselves might already have a mental illness. Um, it's, it's not that they've, be, you know, picked the founder route um and and then suddenly they were at risk um but you know, you know i i often feel like i want to move away from the idea of mental illness and risk because i the founders that i know that have experienced ill health and or are cohabiting with an illness are the most resilient people i know okay um to tag along on that, also from my personal experience, one of the stats that I mentioned was uh, 10 times more prone to bipolar. Now, I've experienced that from my own with previous ventures that I did. If you're just highlighting that one item right now, I, I know it's, it's it's way broader than that, but is bipolar already existing in somebody but not showing? And when the stress of a startup amasses, uh, then it will become visible or... Can it be developed while doing a startup? Yeah, I I think it's one of those things where it's speculative. It could be both ways. And I think it differs on a case-to-case basis. I mean, I can jump in on this a bit too, because um, a more progressive way of looking and of looking at uh, mental illness, I mean, you can call it illness. Uh, so, I mean, I think technically bipolar is an SMI, so it's a severe mental illness. Um, is that it's a di- is a diagnosis, and to be honest, diagnoses are man uh, human human made constructs, right? Is something that we are assigning a value to, and so if you look at the how bipolar manifests, it's a high energy or high mood state, or a low mood state, and just veering between these spectrums. And I think um, when people are in the high energy state, they could create amazing things, or, but in the low mood state, they might actually be more into thinking folks phase. Now, the severity obviously varies per person, but I'd rather take a more progressive look on it as in, okay, once you combine these symptoms, we call it bipolar. But in some ways, it can be harnessed as a strength for founders to to execute rapidly in their high energy state as long as they then don't go, (laughs) as long as they're able to balance it out and they're more contemplative in their lower mood state. So is this a time where I can say that I have bipolar or no? If, If you want to share that, is that, yeah. is up that to like, yeah. up to you. I don't know if this yeah. is like the platform to do it. Yeah. It's really up to you. I mean, it's, it's very personal to you. So I, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't mind it at all. I think it just differs from platform to platform. I've been on interviews where they actually, they wanted to know more about my story and my founding story. But the ironic thing is that's the is, one thing that they didn't want to talk about. That is the one thing yeah. they didn't want to talk about. They've edited the entire, so they would mm-hmm. edit the entire founding story of how, you know, I... You know, I have bipolar disorder. I have a mental illness. I was diagnosed mm. long before I started exactly. Neurom, you know, and so I learned to live with it. I, like, I learned to cohabit. Yeah. It's it's like an annoying roommate that lives in my in my, in my brain. But yeah. I, you know, I, I feel the, the funny thing is that we tend to just shine a harsh spotlight mm. um, on the parts where we're not doing well. But I, it's one of those things I want to demystify is that you can actually cohabit with a mental illness mm. and be successful and build a revenue yeah. generating business. Yeah. And entirely up to you. Entirely up to you. I think I just. <laughs> I think I just. I mean, we can't. We, can, just, we, like, we can we, just edit. I mean, we, like, we can use this. I actually find this a very interesting the way because why would we have to ask yeah. to share something like this? Yeah. 
Yeah? Like, why should we have to ask, is it okay that I'm saying that I'm bipolar? Yeah. It should not be. In my personal opinion, it should be as officers saying like, oh, I had my knee broken when I was five years old. Right. Not everybody knows it and it's not visible. Yeah. But yeah, if you want to share that, why not? If people, me personally, if people don't want to hear that, then it's more that person's problem than... It's more them. Yes. So thank you for sharing. Anytime. So how does that influence you as a founder beside of building the business, but also at that point engaging with your staff and your co-founder? Like, were you open and honest about that with your co-founder when you're first starting talking about doing something together? Yeah, I mean, we're building a behavioral health tech company i feel like it would be very ironic if i if i wasn't open and honest and it's one of those things where i don't think there is a need for disclosure sometimes like like you mentioned i there isn't uh i have to disclose that i have bipolar because i just don't see how that's going to affect our co you know our co-founder relationship and i'm very fortunate that you know caleb's also uh you know a, a brilliant person who before meeting me was also has his own, you know, mission and purpose in the mental health space himself, but, uh, you know, using his, you know, software development skills. Mm -hmm. So really the yin to my yang at that point. So yeah, I I didn't really feel a need for disclosure. It was just a very natural conversation, like a similar one we're having now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I never had any diagnosis, but I've definitely had my share of mental health um, challenges. Um, I, very openly will disclose that I do see a therapist on a regular basis. Um, and that's been helpful too. And in fact, I, I'd argue that people should see therapists when they're feeling great, because at least you, you get used to it when, when get used to having this relationship with someone like professional, uh, when you're, when you're in the best of times. So at least when you're not feeling as great, um, you'll have something to kind of, it's like, it's like having a home base to kind of return to. So, yeah. Um, but again, like it's it's not for everyone, and ironically, this though this is a service I provide, <laughs> might be this is a service I make money off of. I would argue that talk therapy and counseling is not the end all be all of care or self care. So yeah, that's um, and again, like getting finding someone to support you is actually the key point. It doesn't have to be a co founder. It's great that Meg has a co founder that's that open and supportive, but. Um, maybe in, in fact, the communication with your co-founder about what type of relationship you should have is that key. Um, like being mm-hmm. open, like it's it's okay to not disclose everything with them if that's yeah. what you both agree to. Um, there are other ways that you can support yourself. Definitely, I agree, and that includes like leveraging, you know, things you can do for yourself, or it could be another. It could be another founder who might not have, you know, a. A previous diagnosis or living with you know illness but it could be them going through something similar that you're going through and just finding a social support in that mm-hmm. or my partner for example he's he's a vc and i know that he he really walks the talk in taking care of me as he does like with his portfolio companies and his founders as well so i'm very fortunate in that way but you're right it doesn't the, the way i talk with my co-founders and necessarily similar interactions I might have with different people in my life. It's like, would you go up to a stranger and start disclosing your deepest, darkest, like, like things I like am you now? <laughs> <laughs> no, but again, it takes, it, and, and as Jeff mentioned, like sometimes people, they are not ready to accept that or receive right. that. And mm-hmm. so in a way it is an intrusion of sorts. Fine. And that's, and again, because we, and I feel like in this room, we're very sensitive to others, others uh moods or the others energy levels then yeah. then that's why we're you ask that question is this the right time or so because you're you're respectful of that and i think that's yeah. a strength but but <laughs> at the same time it's 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 a we should feel free to be ourselves too so yeah when we talk about that like being open and honest when we talk about building a startup and building mm-hmm. a team and how do you provide a healthy theme and how do you, for instance, at that point, uh, manage downtime when you're managing downtime for yourself, at that point also managing downtime for your team? How do you do that? Especially the question for Megan is, how do you manage that for your team itself? You are a mental health startup. 
you should act within the things that you preach. So that's right. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Quite frankly, I think you could, and it doesn't matter if it's your, you know, your a small company like Neram or if you're HSBC uh, or or you're self-employed. It doesn't matter. I think it's doing it sustainably. So you mentioned downtime. And I, I want to sort of stress, if you can't do it three times a day, is it like really that sustainable? Um, so the ethos I have with taking care of my mental health, and I shared this like with the team as well as like taking care of my skin or brushing your teeth, right? It's really being proactive and preventative about it. Um, and if I don't, I might potentially put myself in a zone where I might be at risk of a flare up, an emotional pimple, if you will, where, and you know, I might gather a few wrinkles and scars here and there. So that could look like doing something practical, like taking mini breaks during the day or the way you talk to yourself. So, for example, I have to remind myself um, and my team that you're not your craft and because they are so damn good at what they do and they care about what they're doing. Um, And you spend and people in general, we spend a third of our lives at work. It is a very core, large part um, of our life. But just reminding people that that. That isn't your self-worth. Here, here. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Justin, what are common myths and beliefs founders have that can hold them back while building something? I think Meg touched on it quite succinctly with you are not your craft. Um, I'd say to most uh, entrepreneurs and founders, you are not your business. You are not your startup. Um, you invest a lot of emotional energy uh, into it and, and I mean, we're not, I'm not here to disregard that. Um, but again, uh, you, if let's say that the the creation and the creator, um, if you don't take care of the creator, then the creation can't exist. Mm-hmm. Nor can you create again because again, we we know. I think we all know the statistics. Ninety percent of startups would have seventy or ninety, depending on which study you look at. But a vast majority of startups fail, and so who keeps on starting them are the creators. So. Um, you got to take care of the creator and uh, and it's tough and it's hard work and this is what I preach with a lot of uh, founders and entrepreneurs is it's it's hard work to take care of yourself and it's a practice um, like the self-care routines um, you know talking to people listening to people that's all part of it so uh, that's hard work okay we've been talking about mental health a lot but what is just in your both opinion what is the definition of mental health um, I'd see, I see it as a, uh, spectrum and a balance, meaning it's a state that you're always in, uh, most of the time, like, sorry, I feel like it's a very long winded way of going about it, but it's, um, mental health can be built and strengthened by first building awareness around where your extremes might be, like where, what, what things, uh, might be, uh, impact you more or less, because that's the external environment, but also internally what type of thoughts and what type of feelings impact you more. Uh, some people respond to happiness, sadness, excitement, like these very uh, very primary uh, emotions in different ways. Uh, and in fact, uh, that's all part of that universe or spectrum of mental health, I'd say. So sorry, it's, a, it's a very simple but tough question to answer to be very very honest and it, it does and it's personal sorry at the end of the day is very personal to you and there is no right or wrong answer i think that's the better way but it's very personal to each person um, yeah megan anything to add to that please <laughs> add something <laughs> that can't that can't be the that can't be it <laughs> yeah I, yeah i think the i think there's a, a common misconception that it's when when you're ill you're always ill mm. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can, like I mentioned earlier, you can cohabit with an illness, but be very well. And you can, or you can not have an illness, never been diagnosed, but also be unwell. Mm. Right. So I, I think it's a very dynamic, very fluid thing. Mm. Oh, it's changed. Yes, exactly. It's changing. Yeah. Um, I think like if we want to use comparisons between physical health, you know, our, our usual going to the GP, like about what's wrong with your, uh, what's what's happening with your body, not what's wrong, but what's happening with your body. Um, I'd say that mental health, or at least related to the mind and even the brain, uh, we're we're quite a ways behind in terms of sophistication and knowledge, or like just even common com- 
common language or common vocabulary around it. Because I mean, we've lost we've we've lost track about how many times we discuss what's the difference between mental wellness, mental health, mental fitness, uh, well being, um, like all mindfulness, like all these things. Because we're still in a way we're still in this kind of experimenting phase where we're seeing what what works and what's the best way to convey these ideas to people. So yeah, so it's fluid. <laughs> I don't have a definition. Thank you very much for that. Then, in your professional opinion, how much of the founders that have mental health challenges do you think are aware that they have them? I again, like I'm going from the standpoint that it is very personal, uh, and obviously I'm not going to disclose specifics about clients. But if you talk about trends, I'd actually say that everyone is aware of their own mental health. They might not have the vocabulary to explain it.、Um, I think generally people know when they're stressed,、um, but、uh, because whether it's a lack of education or awareness, they might attribute it to an external factor.、Um, None of times you get mad at someone else for saying something to you, and then maybe you might overreact. In your opinion, even you overreact to that.、Um, it could be just someone criticizing your work, for example, and you overreact. Like、um, that's that's you making a check of like, okay, there's something off there. But if it's not. If it's not at the tipping point, people might just disregard it for the day. But、um, again, like it's it's about building awareness because、uh, I I I like I like to see more clients when they're saying I'm generally okay, but I've been feeling a bit under blah like that. That already to me is like okay, you're built the aware to me. Sorry, when I hear something like that, that tells me that you've built the awareness. You know where your your general baseline or or standard might be, and you're feeling slightly. Off of it, so that's great.、Um, the tough ones are when someone like when someone comes to me and says, "This has happened. I don't know how to deal with it." Because that tells me that it's a it's something that is hugely potentially traumatic or something significant that has thrown you way off of your balance,、um, way off of what what you consider your normal and okay, and you are at a loss of even how to grasp that. And so,、um, and and again, like this is very personal. Like、um, a lot of times, even with friends, they might say, "Oh, this is not a big deal," but I'm struggling with.、Uh, and, and so they're almost making excuses for themselves, as in they don't expect this to be emotionally impactful for them. I just broke up with someone. Like, what do you mean you just? Like, I mean, depending on how long the relationship is, how long, that can be as much as losing someone to death, right? In in your emotional core. So, again, like it's very personal, and I think that.、Um, To very succinct, to more short and succinctly answer the question,、um, it's、uh, people are aware,、uh, except、uh, except a lot of times it takes talking to someone else to bring out what they mean、uh, and what what they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I just to tag on to what Justin said. I think people are generally aware of how they're feeling in the moment, their current state, for example. But Jeff, your original question was about you know do people do people know if they're at risk or you know at, at what point are they in the red,、um, and I think you know like Justin mentioned like these things don't happen overnight these don't just like suddenly happen and you snap your fingers and you you, you know you sort of tip your you tip yourself over and I think that can actually be quite difficult、um, the micro like the micro signals and the little things that you're sort of loading on yourself on a day to day、um, that. Like you know, like you mentioned, if someone criticizes your work, for example, it, it in maybe in another circumstance, like you would have, that might not have you know made like, had that reaction, had,、yeah. had that reaction、yeah. but it could be a compilation of other other things that are affecting your quality of life or your or your mental health,、um, where that did have a significant impact. That particular thing had a significant impact to you,、um, and I think it's really making sure that we have a mechanism where founders can have. A way to check their own mental health pulse, if you will,、mm. um, to to sort of know where we are, so we can regulate ourselves and、mm-hmm. incorporate that as part of our self care process, or a way or a language we can use as a starting point. For Neurom, we use data for that.、Um, one ex- one example is, and I think a user put this so succinctly. He said, "You know, I never really thought about mental health anything really."、Um, And he was an engineer at a Chinese manufacturing company. I was like, fair enough.、Um, but he said, look, data is a good way for me to have a common language that really makes sense, that isn't too personal, personal for me to ex- express myself、yeah. 
in a way that's a good that's a good starting point um for people like him who are coping and curious when i was preparing for this podcast doing some research that kind of thing i came about one of my notes from probably almost 10 years ago and the only thing it said was uh, mental health is connected to productivity i don't know where the note came from 10 years ago there was no my poor note-taking at that point of course has no uh, source and no other uh, side markings there but what is true of that I feel like it was future Jeffrey traveled back in time to tell <laughs> Jeff <laughs> that this podcast was happening. <laughs> Obviously. I think uh, Meg, Meg can jump in on this one. Meg, how is mental health connected to productivity? If yes, how? She's got the data, so I'm going to leave this to her. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think it mental health does have an association with your day-to-day functioning. Um And part of that day-to-day functioning is doing things like going to work and being productive there. So when when we look at data, and there tends to be more around, you know, larger enterprises, but the majority of people do something called presenteeism, where they come to work, they're not really, they're not, they, they, they've clocked in, but they're not checked in. Um, so I, I would I would say yes, it is linked to productivity, but... I, I, I just want to be I just want to be careful in that at, at what point is it really a, a detrimental effect on your day-to-day functioning and it's it's sometimes okay to <laughs> we're not always 110% switched on when we come to work like let's be real let's be realistic about this sometimes some procrastination is okay sometimes a little bit of procrastination or um in, in neuroscience we call it the default mode network which is your brain when your brain is not doing anything like that's also very good we need that as well that's very a, a normal thing um in our life um, so i i want to be careful <laughs> about this narrative of we have to take care of mental health because we have to like increase productivity by like x percentage or x amount um I'm I'm going to mention something uh, maybe maybe a bit con- controversial for people who are starting businesses and managing teams, but um, I think uh, the slogan of uh, if you do what you're passionate about, you will never work a day in your life because you'll be doing it all the time. Uh, I'm just imagining the scenarios where you might have heard it uh, kind of uh, for yourself, but you might hear it in a different context and different voice from uh, someone that is a manager or a boss or something that's telling you to do something that you may not be 100% behind doing. And so it could become, and in that way, um, the measure of productivity is not not something that you actually value in that, at that point. And so um, the term productivity is, does it mean being in your seat? Does it mean, like, what does it mean and what is your measure of productivity is actually the more important question in this mm-hmm. particular case because... Um, maybe being more productive is working only three hours with 100% output. Yeah. Or 100% of what your previous output was. So so I think that is the nuance around productivity, especially um, as we move from a very heavily industrialized, manufacturing-heavy type of uh, you know, economy into more automation and, and uh, so-called creative or knowledge work. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what differs... Uh, we already touched upon that a little bit, of course, but what differs between the founder mental, well, uh, mental wellness and non-founder mental wellness? Um, yeah, I'll share a bit about, um, I mean, Jeff, you did mention some of the stats around this. Um, and so I'm not going to go into rather the uh, call, uh, am- amount of uh, challenges or concerns. I think uh, what is different uh, for the I mean, and again, I'm, I'm speaking only as a secondhand, somewhat firsthand, but more secondhand uh, observer of this, is that um, the difference tends to be the extremes to which founders put themselves through, meaning um, they they are generally, I found, um, more uh, intelligent on the IQ, and even EQ, to be very honest, like IQ and EQ. So I almost feel like these measures are not, um, not necessarily the right measures of competency in this case, but rather they feel empowered and able to do things or build things that have that don't exist currently. I mean, that's what a founder or creator is doing. Now, 
with that comes the risks of you're investing emotional energy into something that's hypothetical. It's imaginary. And so it's, it's um, in, in a way it can, you're throwing, you're throwing, a, you're investing a lot of energy into a imaginary object, which may not return, like which may not return that or reciprocate that energy. Um, and so that amount of uncertainty uh, can, can have very different effects on the mental well-being or the psyche or how we interpret that. Not to mention, because they tend to be high-performing, high-EQ, high-IQ, they expect a lot more of themselves. And so that's a lot of internal pressure and external pressure, too. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to speak too much. I think that from a first-hand experience, maybe Meg can share a bit more. Yeah, let's let's book in a time after <laughs> no. after this podcast. <laughs> okay, um, Meg, you've been building a mental health startup, a business in mental health. What are common myths or beliefs that people have when you're talking about mental health startup doing something in the mental health? Are you correcting people or demystifying some things uh, on a regular basis. What is your challenge there when you say, I'm doing a startup in mental health? Mm. Yeah, I think there are different components to that question. I guess I'll, I'll look at the one about, I think there's a lot of emphasis on stigma. This might be a little bit controversial. I don't actually think mental health in nature is actually stigmatized, but I do think the more we keep saying that it is, and we'll, we'll keep reinforcing that narrative. So I've noticed, for example, sometimes in conversations, you know, we'll be talking about it. There seems to be quite a bit of progress. And then someone goes, oh, yeah, but stigma, though, tough. C'est la vie, that sucks. And the conversation kind of like dwindles, dwindles from there. And then I'm the least favorited person in that party. Um, <laughs> so I think, yes, we I think it's important to acknowledge that it's a thing, but we really have to move on from that narrative um, so ironically, I'd actually say that one of the things I, I want to move away from when building a behavioral health company is paying stigma too much mind, giving it too much airtime. Um, so I'll actually give you an example. In the very early iterations of Clara, a platform, we actually thought, right, okay, stigma is a thing. We know that. Check. So let's not be scary. Let's try to be, you know, positive, water things down a little bit, you know, try to make things more digestible for people. Um, we were coming at it from a very well-intentioned place. But honestly, like, and this is why it's so important to like, listen to users and make sure that they're included as part of the design process as well, is that particularly over here, people just want things to be called what they are. Um, they don't want you to sugarcoat things. They're very curious to learn more. Um, people are increasingly, there's there's growing awareness um, and people want to know the science. They want to know the science and the research behind things. Um, and they're also, you know, just we noticed that just having information and support delivered through their connected devices was already a step in normalizing things. There wasn't a need to put a blaring light on stigma and designing the product so much around the stigma thing itself, um, if, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I don't think the pitfalls are actually due to stigmatization directly. I think like any other industry, the pitfalls come from not really viewing or understanding the problem as is. So do your homework as a founder and investor. Um, do your homework as an investor. Let me take on to that a little bit because I personally think also investors have a huge role in uh, founder wellness. Previously, Deloitte research also showed that if the preventative support goes up, the return on investment also goes up. Mm -hmm. um, how for the investors who are listening to this podcast, what could they do? Even if it just doesn't even have to be VC, right? It could also be an angel investor or right. uh, somebody from the FFF phase, the friends, family and fools phase. Like how <laughs> could they at that point help the founder or the team that they are having a upside in to to perform well yeah i think justin mentioned a really good point um earlier in that an investment into your founders directly in this case in your founder's mental health is probably a very very good idea because you are directly relying on them as well to even from a business bottom line perspective as yeah. well right 
Um, that's that's probably a really good shout. I think be it a fat, like I mentioned earlier, be it, you know, like my partner or if, you know, an angel investor or a VC, one thing you can really do. And I do stress this as well, because sometimes we put a lot of onus on founders to do yeah. the taking care of themselves um, is that we can also have more of a hopefully going forward more of a community based approach um, being supportive being knowing where to signpost people to get you know the right resources for example um, getting Justin in and speaking to your founders for example <laughs> would be a really good idea um, and I and the Deloitte report I think previously in one of the previous versions it was a four it was every dollar put in was a forex return but their most recent Deloitte insights report actually shows that personalized uh, and tech enabled solutions actually provide an 11x I saw the same figures in the yeah um, can I jump in a bit yeah on sure the, no because I think that um, in my own research uh, to, to really starting this, even as a small business, I, I call myself a small business, um, I've spoken to VCs, I've spoken to investors, and I've actually been pleasantly surprised that, at least from an investment point of view, um, there are investors out there who are aware of this, and they actually uh, kind of set aside a certain percentage. Now, that percentage does tend to fall into the overall well-being aspect of things, so things like gym and exercise and Stuff, that might be part of it but um they they are looking for resources um to support the mental well-being as well so it's something that um it's it's in there it's in the is in the terms for for some investors so, so yeah. okay i have some angel investments and i've been actively reaching out to to most of them in the last couple of months and weeks but quite often I personally don't know much to do besides of just having a call with them, asking how, how well they're doing, if they're taking care of themselves. What else could I do to make that more significant for them? Can you give maybe some tips and tricks where somebody in a position like me could, yeah, beside of having Justin talking to them. Um, I'm really appreciating uh, the plugs, by the way, everyone. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's an investment to the, to, to the yes. fundamental. So what could I do for all those angel investors out there? Um, I'll, and this is, and I understand that this is a bit, um, difficult because of the role of the investor and how the founder perceives the investor plays a part into this as well. Um, I've heard from uh, some angel, I mean, earlier stage investors, especially because they're very hands-on with their investments. Um, it, basically, it's they, they're playing that, they're almost playing as a family, like a family or loved one support, as in uh, the the ones who are more, um, more open to this are playing the open ear and whatever the the ear or the shoulder that they can rely on um whether that is um and, and the techniques are actually very simple to be honest i think most people are able to understand and utilize them once they're aware of it like active listening so that's simply listening reflecting and sometimes you don't have to say anything or provide advice it's just knowing that someone's there listening and not judging and i think um one of the things we haven't touched on yet is the idea of judgment um, which kind of ties into stigma, kind of, kind of ties into the founders, pers like the founders, uh, you can call it the worries that they have is sometimes locked into how others perceive or judge them. And so offering them a opportunity or a space where they're not feeling judged can be that brush breath of fresh air for them. So that's that's important as well. So as investors, it's very difficult, I could imagine, and full sympathy, <laughs> empathy, sympathy, whatever you want to call it, to, to the fact that you might sometimes be hearing things that, that worry you as an investor. But if you're a person or a friend or a loved one, if you want to call it that first, then you might not, you might you might be able to kind of set aside that financial aspect just for that moment. So. Yeah, I, I also want to mention as well that there is a level of shared value here as well. If you, I, I always say like you hire or you invest in the best minds, so take care of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. For me, for now, what I said, like having calls with them, or when I see them posting something on Slack that is way beyond their normal bedtime, especially like one of the founders is in is in Austin, Texas, in the U.S., and at one point I. Why is he messaging on Slack right now? This is probably 3 a.m., 4 a.m. for you. So at that point, I just said, 
go to bed. Of course, yeah. that's that, like that's a something. But good kid, like a parent, go to bed. <laughs> go to bed. It's very hard, right, to do that. But uh, seeing it as a family, seeing it as uh, shared values, quite often, maybe I, I should ask them indeed more about uh, indeed also. And that's also what one of my next questions be: is what actionable steps for founders can there be to maintain their mental wellness, right? Maybe at that point, exercise. I've read also something about the three Fs, the faith, family, and fitness. Um, what can you tell with practical suggestions there to help the founders be it's well what it's actually four f's four f's it's actually four okay. f's but the last one may not be kosher for the for the podcast what's the last one <laughs> okay um, i think the the audience can uh, maybe at that point uh, already think what the four the fourth f could be but uh it, and it, that can be very uh, relaxing indeed afterwards uh but Go ahead. Talk about the first three Fs then. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, fitness. Uh, I mean, as I said earlier, uh, if the only thing you're doing to take care of yourself is talking to someone or doing therapy, I would not recommend that, actually. Um, having a, a balanced regime, I guess, or regimen of um, of uh, physical health and some something. It does, like, I think uh, recently is like um, I've been speaking to... And COVID, I understand COVID has been um, a massive bummer for anyone's plans around fitness like things change um but even going out for a quick walk around around the building around the park wherever you might be 15 minutes 30 minutes a day does wonders for uh, physical and mental health um walking uh, walking is is one i mean granted as long as as one is able to walk all right let's be let's be you know fully aware here but um but yeah that that's being outside and being able to be active a little bit is very useful um family uh family's connection to people to be honest like uh or or i mean and family i think is actually a broader term around uh people that you feel supported uh around and uh, that you care and love so yeah that's another aspect um and so, because uh, for me, it's actually the three P's. So I'm trying to think, what's the, what's the last one? Um, uh, what was that? Sorry, what was the last, last F? Uh, faith. Faith. Uh, yeah. So faith is actually more related to purpose in my mind. Uh, so uh, that's around having meaning. Something that you assign meaning to uh, in your in your life. Because I agree with some people that might be more secular or not religious, um, having something that you derive meaning from. Uh, as, and that's personal to you too. Like it doesn't have to be about someone else's purpose. It's more that something meaningful to you. Yeah, faith could also be, for instance, meditation, right? Yes. Well, spirituality, like it's like yeah, yeah, mm. something related to that, like something greater in a way greater to yourself, something greater than yourself. Yeah, that's 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 a way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, Make anything to add to that? Actually, have a message for Jeffrey, and just saying that I think it's brilliant that you're doing things to. Just small things like you know messaging messaging your founders for example um and not do i always say like sustainable message i'll, I'll get into answering the question in jiffy but <laughs> <laughs> promise like this is just this is more like a like a big kudos for you for doing it because i think there's a lot of situations where there's a large campaign or awareness or movement around things like mental health month or certain landmark events but not enough of pulling of pinging your founders and being like, get off Slack and don't respond and get some sleep. Um, and it's that kind of sustainable messaging. Yeah. I think that's really important. Um, so even tiny things like that count, yeah. right? Um, I think for me, I it's recognizing that what I need at different moments um, could be quite different. So for I'm not so I'm not a big fan of one size fits all solutions, right? Some people and some that might work for some people. Some people swear by meditation in the morning, for example, and that just doesn't doesn't really it just doesn't really work for me and, and my lifestyle. So, which is why at Neurom personalization is and doing that real time with reach is so important because everyone's unique. So I'll give an example. Like I think guided meditations are great. Um, they're just not always my cup of tea. And sometimes I might have an intrusive, silly thought, and I want to put that on trial and challenge it and go through that exercise mm. um, instead of letting it pass by mm. like a leaf or, <laughs> or you know, it, it's, yeah. it just doesn't work for me sometimes. Um, 
And I think recognizing and over time experimenting on different things as well and seeing what really helps you out. Like you're probably. Yeah, just go through through a a range of different different tools and exercises that and really figuring and piecing out like what what works really floats your boat. Um, And that's actually that's key. Um, Being open to experimenting with different things and uh for example, even even if if let's say okay, uh, for example, I say that I'm seeing a therapist, I've actually made decisions to change therapists because sometimes this stops being effective with one person. Mm. In the same way that the meditation exercise you might be doing for X number of years might not be appropriate or might not be enough anymore at a certain point, and that's okay to change and evolve from that. Like it's it's being open to and as as. As I'm sure as Meg develops her platform, there'll be more and more amazing digital therapeutic solutions out there that you can try. So, you know, it's yeah. like, so it's, it, but it's about being open to innovation on this. Um, I mean, not that I'm pushing things around like psychedelics and stuff, but I definitely know that the influx of investment into things like um, Compass in the States, uh, psychedelics and things kind of bode well with the kind of medic, medic, medicalized or medication drugs aspect up on top of uh, kind of more uh, self-care, like more um, verbal or, uh, or even a meditation type of uh, therapies. There's, there's been a lot of research into this of late too, as in they aid, especially with people who might be previously more resistant to these uh, meditation therapies. Um, but I'm not, uh, especially in Hong Kong, I'm not pushing a pro-drug message, but, but yes. Okay, okay. Um, thank you, Mac, for the shout-out and the kudos. Um me personally, what I'm doing myself, of course, we had here in Hong Kong, right, the COVID here hit pretty early. That was end of January. That actually, at that point for me personally opened up when it comes to physical health. So as of April, I've been doing twice a week, one hour gym sessions, exercise sessions. That actually triggered me to start mm-hmm. doing it. So the COVID actually started triggering me that Um even though at one point gyms were closed, take it outside, walk out with, with my backpack and a yoga mat and some very light weights and some elastics and that kind of thing and just do it outside. Uh, I think I've missed only four times since April. That's very impressive. That's great. Yeah. And, and that really helps me to cope with it with the whole COVID situation. And I actually think that personally, like I've, I've talked to other people about that too. It's actually for me now easier to do because I'm not traveling. I'm not somewhere for a weekend or a week in Seoul or I'm not in, in Taipei or I'm not in, in, in Europe. Or It actually gives more regularity mm-hmm. to my schedule. So every week, twice a week on the morning from seven till eight, I'm there, I'm working out. Mm-hmm. and by the way it also works very well with your weight balance at that point i'm already for <laughs> a very long time under 80 kilos wow so it's for me actually the covid situation and the travel ban helped with that so when you're talking about balancing your mental wellness exercise is one thing faith is one thing your, your family how could your family support you the best in that sense like i've at one point, I I did a talk of probably four or five years ago about the cost of doing a startup. And then I was not talking about the monetary cost. I was talking about opportunity cost. I was talking about relationship cost, uh, mental health cost, all those kind of secondary costs. When you're talking about family and relationships, and then also at that point, of course, romantic relationships, is there things that they can do? And also at that point, are there similarities for your founder journey and your, at that point, also romantic relationships. Um, Mac, maybe you can help in that. You have a partner too, right? So. I have a partner as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> way, I have family and partners too, but you can kick yeah. it off. You can kick it off. <laughs> yeah, I, there's such an important part of your journey. And I think the important thing is they don't have to know exactly the ins and outs of what you do. My partner happens to be a VC, so he's like sitting on the other, he's sitting on the other side of the table. Um, so he gets a glimpse of what the rest of his portfolio company is probably, probably experiencing as well like, um, on a day-to-day basis. But I, I'm really grateful to have him because 
I need I need that person to sometimes peel me away from my laptop mm. at like one and one a.m. in the morning. He says, "No, it's quite literally that that boundary, if you will." Um, and for COVID, for, personally, it's really blurred. I used to be able to go into the office before we had you know Dim Sum Square downstairs with a positive COVID case. Um, <laughs> it's closed down. Dim Sum Square is gone. Oh, has it? Oh no. Yeah. No, I'm very I'm very grateful that. I have my partner. He's very, very supportive. He's also a VC, so he's he sits on the other side of the table. So he kind of understands the journey in which I'm going through, um, and is very empathetic towards that. And he helps me in, you know, be it like instrumentally. There are different types of support, different flavors. Um, so it could be like emotional support. It could be instrumental support. So these are like more practical things. For example, like for me, I hate spreadsheets. And he happens to have an, like a finance background, so he's great at it. You know, just that, like situations like that, um, where I'm very grateful for. But there are like my my brothers, for example, or my mom, who don't have, who know nothing about what I'm doing. It's a complete black box to them. Um, but they're but they're just being so supportive, just knowing that they're there, or even just asking questions and being curious about what I'm doing. Um, and just doing the things that you're doing, Jeffrey, just like sending me WeChat mm. voice notes to tell us just to ask me if I've eaten, which is a very Chinese mom. Which mom is also thing the name of do. Meg's podcast. Neurom House Podcast is called Have You Eaten? <laughs> Cross promotion. <laughs> inspired by my mom. All inspired by all Chinese moms out there. <laughs> Shout well, out to uh, the Chinese moms. <laughs> we'll put the link in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, so I think they, yeah, they've all provided some shape or form their way of showing support, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. Um, family is a tough one, I think, especially. Um, I, I mean, I, I've, I've recently ha- uh, done a few messages. Like, I guess this is what you call sustainable messaging, uh, just to let people know that. I mean, this research has always been in like end of the year christmas these times it's it's rough for a lot of people emotionally so um not for a lot of people not being able to see their family which they're used to doing on a on a annual uh, every year um is is difficult and i think um not again to put too much onus on on reaching out but uh, everyone should try and even even on a on a, on a like uh, sometimes feels like oh a message is not sufficient no it is sufficient. Every little bit counts. Um, and a lot of times people are focused on what could be and what it isn't versus what can be and what they can do in the moment. And I think that's that's a very important reminder throughout COVID is just every little bit can count um, and making that effort to do a bit of connection there. And and on that note, I've been very, very appreciative, which I may not have been as much previously that you know family... The random message, mom will send me a photo of something she made, and I'd be like, you know, that's a, that's a really nice looking soup or something like that. Like, and, and, but again, like it's just having this kind of touch point, this small touch point, where you're like, you're like, basically, I mean, what I read in something like that is like, you are in my thoughts. Um, I'm wondering how you are, uh, and this is something that I'm doing in case you want to know, which I did want to know. So that was great, and so it, it's about sending this these little things and recognizing the intention behind it. Um, and so yeah, like family is important. Practically, um, my partner uh, is very interested and very supportive of what I do. Uh, and what's what's actually great is that while she's interested, um, she understands that she can't always provide exactly the type of support, whether it's from a business point of view or from like a client uh, acquisition or whatever, like a sales point of view. But um, she she makes her point um, to to ask me if I'm taking care of myself. She makes her point because you know. Uh, like it's it's just it's just knowing that someone's caring about you is is, is important that way. Um, so yeah, like they having someone around um, you're receiving, but in the same way, I do remember to to give a little too. Uh, and you'd be surprised what comes back. Actually, is what I what I'd always say by giving or sharing a little bit with someone else. You'd be surprised what comes back. Okay. Um, Justin, it's something that I regular also ask on the podcast is. What is something that's not a secret, but most people don't know about you? Oof. It gives Mac a little bit of time to prepare for this one question. Okay, I'm going I'm to I'm take a few seconds. What's a secret? It's not a, not a full secret. Do not know about me. Uh, 
Well, I feel like we've disclosed a lot in this podcast already, though. Like, most people didn't know I see a therapist. Most people didn't know it could that. Be, it could be a preference for a drink or uh, true. food. That's or true. it could be that you're, I don't know, go for a walk on a Sunday morning, 3 a.m. <laughs> or... Um... I think really only the closer friends know that I really, really like to sing. I really, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. Um, I really like to sing. And um, it's, it was, I think for a lot of people when I, when, just because I don't actually usually get photographed in a karaoke room, for example, um, it was recently before COVID that I did some open mics just for fun. And I thought, oh, this is a decent photo of me. And I put it up on WhatsApp that people were like, you're in a band? And I'm like, no, I'm not in a band. I just like to sing. Like, let's, let's not make it a big deal, shall we? So, so that there's that maybe. I don't, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> okay. I like to sing a lot, actually. And not just in the shower. <laughs> and Meg, what's something that's not a secret, but most people don't know about you? I can't sing. Housing prices seem to magically go down when I do. <laughs> I'm kidding. They should invest in soundproofing. <laughs> I'm. It's not a secret. I don't think it's a secret until I until you walk down the street and there is one of these things that pop up. But I am deathly afraid of cats. Wow. Okay. Not big cats or kittens, just like the normal mm. sized cats. Okay. I would take a detour. If I saw one, you would and then cross the road? I would, I would cross. The, I would take the next street. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, I feel like there's a lot of blackmail material. In oh, this, I know, right? Like, see, this is this is stigma around cats now too. <laughs> Maggie's a cat hater. <laughs> no, no, let that be on record. I didn't say I hate cats. <laughs> I am just fearful of oh, them. Gosh. Fake news. Fake great, news. Great, fake great. news. Um. Please edit that. <laughs> Please edit that. <laughs> if there's one thing you want people to take away from this talk, what is it? Oh, I, this is one that I've um, started uh, using a lot. Is um, aside from the the um, you're not your business or your startup, um, you are your own self. You're more than that. Is actually um, your journey is unique to you, uh, as in um, as in your experiences are personal to you. But you are not alone in your journey. That's what I've been telling a lot of clients um, of late is that um, you, you can be very lonely, but there are a lot of other people that are, in, in a way, if it's so, it's like they're lonely as well. And so there's an opportunity to connect as well. So, yeah, that's that's one takeaway. Okay. And Megan? If there's one thing, I think it's to reiterate that I think when we talk about mental health and it's into the entire continuum, people sometimes view it as a very negative thing i think the i think the gut the gut reaction yeah. is to like when we first started the like when we just started recording this podcast was to be a little bit sensitive and tiptoe around a couple of things in the wordings but mm. it's not all bad i i yeah definitely uh, sorry yeah that's that's true it's like i mean when we started out what was i saying like if we i mean if it's social if it's more socially acceptable i think that we should inject more humor and lightheartedness into making this it's like this somber dark topic for a lot of people and it's like no it's real life it's just normal life and let's 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 make this normal and when when things are normal you you can laugh about it you can you can you can humanize it basically right but, but again like it's 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 and i i'm very wary again this comes back to the whole somberness of it how things are interpreted and what it means for other people which is why we always end up with the default mode of oh this is a very serious topic let's be very sensitive like we don't know what it's, how it's going to impact other people the fact is, like, once you establish a safe space where people can be open, it can be a very positive and delightful topic to actually discuss. So. Yeah, I agree. And I this just reminds me, I was, I was speaking, I was giving a talk at a design conference. And at the end, one of the questions, one of the audience's questions was, well, Mike, how do I get stress and anxiety to my company to zero? In which my response was, well, you'd have no company. I, you know, I, I feel like you do need certain levels of these things to perform. Yeah. I just, it's just very unfortunate that it's, we've just focused on a particular yeah. shade of what yeah. mental health and wellness is. Um, I mean, what is it? Worry and anxiety tells you that, I mean, it's a signal. It's a signal. Remember, it's a signal. And it's a signal to you that you actually care about this. Mm -hmm. And this is something that's important to you. So recognize it for what it is because it's a signal however like let's let's maybe work on how strongly that signal affects you that's the and, and what what in what ways does it uh, make you feel so it's that's that's the kind of work 
that a lot of people um, need to work on, like whether it's through mindfulness or, uh, or, or talking to someone. So there's a lot of ways. Okay. Thank you very much. I want to thank you for your valuable insights and your sharing. For the listeners, this would be our last podcast for this year. It has been 24 podcasts for this year. So that means on average two a month. Congrats. Congrats Congratulations. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, we will take a little break. Probably we'll be back after Chinese New Year. It will be somewhere in February. If all goes well with a new series of podcasts about lessons learned in startups. There will also be in the show notes some links when you are seeking for help or you want to reach out or you want to talk about mental health. We will share some links there. For the listeners, although the rating system for podcasts is hideous, if you like this Mea Koopa series, you can rate this podcast with five stars and the motivation for the makers. We want to thank Mizuho Crowdbrain in Hong Kong for being the venue sponsors for this episode and also thank Copy Ventures for making this series possible. If you have any suggestions for our new series, people that, that you want to hear on this podcast sharing their lessons learned in startups, let us know. Contact us also in the show notes. Thank you, Mac. Thank you, Justin, for this podcast. This is Jeffrey Brewer. Go out and build something meaningful. <laughs>